Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Hallelujah. Now, we've been talking in previous weeks, last week and, and weeks just uh, immediately before that, we've been talking about the importance of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that though he was God, he was also man. Now, we're having this uh, teaching and I'm presenting this inside the context that Everyone knows, that is all believers, know and understand that Jesus is God and he was God and he is God in the flesh. Isn't that right? So in the context that we all know that, we're presenting another side of things. We're talking about the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that he was a man because you must understand the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ before you will ever be able to exercise the authority that belongs to you as a, as a man or as a woman. In other words, as a human being. And so this scripture in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 21 says, for since by man, that would be Adam, for since by man, a human being, a, 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 a human man. In other words, not, not an angel or, or uh, some other created being, but a man. For since by man came death, by man, only notice this man, the, the M was capitalized in, in the New King James. By man, that's talking about the man, Christ Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. You could say it like this. Because... Death came through a man, therefore life and resurrection of the dead had to come through a man. You see that? For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. We pointed out that this is not just talking about physical death. Because physical death, there, there are three kinds of death, there might be more, but there are basic, three basic kinds of death spoken of in the scriptures. Physical death is the one we're most acquainted with because as natural men, we live in a physical world and, and, and we're uh, surrounded with physical realities all the time. And so to our detriment, we typically think naturally first instead of spiritually. And so there is physical death. There are three kinds. The second kind is spiritual death. And the third kind of death is, is referred to in the book of Revelation as the second death or eternal death. And that's being cast into the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone. That's called eternal death or the second death. Then there's spiritual death. And then the one we're most common with uh, or familiar with is physical death. And so this is not talking about physical death. We pointed out that most of the time in the New Testament, unless the con context of the passage requires you to understand that to be talking about physical death, it's talking about spiritual death. Because the Bible has always put spiritual truths first. And so when it says, by man, since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead, uh, it's not just talking about Jesus being raised from the dead physically. It's the resurrection of the dead, the same kind of death that took place when man's spirit was separated from God. We found out that that's what spiritual death is. Spiritual death is separation from God. Spiritual death when, when we talk about someone dying spiritually or being dead spiritually, we don't mean by that that their spirit is dead like a physical body is dead. When a physical body is dead, it ceases to function. 
I mean, it's just on a cellular level, everything shuts down and the body's still there, but it is not functioning. It's dead and left long enough, it will go back to the earth. It'll decay and and, and disappear. Spirits are eternal. Just like God is a spirit, he's eternal. All spirit beings are eternal. They're in that class of created beings. God is the father of spirits. He creates all spirits. And so he is eternal, angels are eternal, Uh, the devil is eternal, Uh, demons are eternal. Man is an eternal creature in that we are a spirit. You and I individually are spirits. We possess a soul and our spirit and soul live inside a physical body. So when we talk about spiritual death, we're not talking about Uh, our spirit ceasing to exist or a man being spiritually dead that his spirit is dead like like a dog is dead. We simply mean that his spirit has been cut off from the life of God. Cut off from the presence of God. Separated from God. Go to Isaiah 59 and you'll see this. Isaiah 59. And look at verse number two, I think. Let me get there. Verse two says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. You remember in the, in the Garden of Eden when God created man and, and woman and placed them in the Garden of Eden, he said you can eat of every tree, the fruit of every tree. He said except one. The tree of the knowledge of of good and evil, you shall not eat of the fruit of that tree. Then he said, for in the day, in the very day you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day, that means before the sun goes down that day, you will surely die. Well, we know that Adam and Eve ate and they didn't die physically. Adam lived 930 years. So there were a lot of days after the day he ate of that fruit. Isn't that right? A lot of things happened in their lives after they ate of the, of the forbidden fruit. So either, either God made a mistake saying that they would die and they didn't die. He was wrong or else it's talking about a different kind of death. Of course, God can't be wrong. So there has to be another explanation about death. In the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, what happened that day? It said that in the cool of the day that God came looking for them and they hid themselves. They were suddenly conscious of sin. What had happened? They had died spiritually and they were conscious of their sin and and of the fact that they didn't measure up, that they couldn't be in God's presence. And what did God do? After he got through talking to them, he banished them from his presence, isn't that right? So spiritual death is being cut off or separated from the presence of God. You say, well, pastor, why are you talking so much about spiritual death? Unless you understand spiritual death, you will never understand spiritual life. You will never understand fully You'll never fully comprehend what has happened and what God has done for us and the magnitude of it unless you understand the truth of spiritual death and what Jesus suffered, amen? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Spiritual death is simply the opposite of spiritual life. It is being separated from God's presence. Now, I want you to go with me to Philippians, the second chapter. Another verse we have examined, but we need to look at it a little more and glean some more out of this passage. This is is Philippians chapter two, verse number five, beginning in verse number five. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God... Now we read this, I read this morning that Jesus is the express image of God. 
That's what it means when it, when it says he was in the likeness of God or in the form of God. He was the express image of God. Jesus was and is God, the son in the flesh. Being in the form of God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. We pointed out that this word robbery in, uh, in, in the margin of my Bible, it says something to be held onto, to be equal to. So that's a better way of saying that. Who being in the form of God did not consider his being in the form of God something to be held onto or something to be grasped and protected. But he, but he made himself of no reputation. Now, that expression, he made himself of no reputation, comes from a Greek word, and it means he emptied himself. He emptied himself. Well, what does that mean, he emptied himself? Well, you think about it, he was God, but he didn't, and he was, and he was uh, 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 the express image of God, but when he came here, he did not consider his equality with God to be something to be held onto. Instead, he emptied himself. Now notice, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. That simply means that he divested himself of his resources and the prerogatives that were his as a result of being God. Now, he never ceased to be God, but he laid aside his power and glory as God and took upon him the, the form of man and became a human being. He became a human being with all the limitations of a human being. Now, just because Jesus became a man, that doesn't take away from his deity. He was still God, but he was God in the flesh. And as a man, he could experience the limitations of man. He could experience things that were actually foreign to, de to deity and yet remain deity. Why then, for instance, how could Jesus experience being tired? It says that he was wearied. Remember that? There were times when he was hungry. There were times when he was thirsty. Well, all three of those are, are attributes, attributes that are foreign to deity. God can't be hungry or thirsty or tired. That's, that's not a trait of deity. Jesus experienced the limitations of man and experienced things that are common to man without it uh, 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 diminishing his deity. You understand that? So as, as a man, he could experience things that as God, he couldn't experience because he was experiencing them as a man. You understand that? Now, when we look at his life, we tend to think of him as God in the flesh with the emphasis on God. Now, let me make a, a really important statement here. Understand what I'm saying. Believing in the deity of Christ, believing that Jesus is God is essential for salvation. Amen. Why is that so? Because if Jesus wasn't God in the flesh, then he was a common man. If he wasn't God, then he was a man, but he was a common man. And if he was a common man, the Bible says that all have sinned. For by one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. And so death passed, I'm, I'm quoting Romans 5 here, verse 12 and 13. And so death passed to all men for all have sinned. 
Well, if Jesus wasn't God, then he was an ordinary man. If he was an ordinary man, then he was a sinful man. And if he was a sinful man, his blood is not pure blood. In the sense that his blood could not redeem fallen man because he himself was guilty. Like the priest of the Old Testament. It says in Hebrews that the priest of the Old Testament, they could not be the mediator, the true mediator, even though they stood in a position of mediation. They could not be the ultimate mediator between God and men. Why? Because they first had to offer sacrifices for their own sin and then for the sins of the people. So therefore, they could not be a mediator. So if Jesus wasn't God, then he was a common man. If he was a common man, there is no salvation. So that's why it's, it's essential that we believe in the deity of Christ. That is the foundation of Christian belief. We're talking about another side though. Because though understanding the deity of Christ is essential for salvation, Understanding his humanity is essential for walking in everything he's provided for us. If we don't see his, his, if we only think of Jesus in the sense that he was God, it will rob us from partaking of a lot of what he's made available to us in the here and now. Yeah, you'll get to go to heaven, but you'll be, you'll be defeated in this life. That's exactly what modern religion has done. It has only looked at the deity of Christ. It's given, it's, it's acknowledged that the humanity of Christ, but all of the emphasis is on the, is on the deity of Christ and it's, and, it's, and it's caused people to look at Jesus in a way that is not actually true to the scriptures. What I mean by that, for instance, is every marvelous thing that Jesus did, every time he healed the sick, every time he broke the bread and fed the multitudes, every time he spoke like no man had ever spoken, every time he, anything you see in the New Testament in the Gospels about Jesus that, that demonstrates his splendor and, and what a magnificent person he was, we chalk that up, I'm talking about religion, chalks that up to his divinity and says, well, after all, he was God. We don't, modern religion does not allow church people, Christians, to aspire to really live like Christ. Now, we're told we're supposed to be like him, but in religion, that only means to be nice. To be like him, don't, don't be mean, don't be ugly, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. But it doesn't mean have power it doesn't mean walk in authority because every time someone begins to rise up and see in the scriptures that, well, when Jesus laid hands on the sick and they recovered, then I can lay hands on the sick. Well, now, wait a minute, he was God. And see, we have that handicap and, and it's more pervasive than you realize. You can, you can come to a place where you've been exposed to the truth like you have here that that. Uh, everything Jesus did has been made available to us, but still unconsciously succumb to that tradition when you read the scriptures. Well, after all, Jesus was the son of God. He could do this, he could do that because he was the son of God. And, and I'm not, he was God and I'm not God. So, you know, I can't really hope to really be like him. But everything Jesus did in his earthly life and ministry he did as a man. He didn't cast out demons as God. He cast out demons as a man full of the life of God and anointed by the spirit of God. He said, I cast out demons by the spirit of God. Didn't he? Now, if you had been present in Jesus' time, back in, in, in Galilee, when Jesus walked about, you would not have looked at him and thought, there goes God. I'm, I'm searching for the crowd for somebody to use as an example of Jesus. I don't find anybody, okay. <laughs> Stand up here, Doug. <laughs> 
<laughs> come, come here. No, you won't do. Sit down. I need somebody younger. Come up here. <laughs> now, now, John here, he's, he's a man. Isn't that right? Jesus would have looked like John. Okay, he just looked like a man. How old are you, John? Almost 30. Almost 30. Jesus was 30 years old when he began his ministry. Jesus would have looked like John. Nobody would have recognized him as being God because he didn't look like God. He looked like Jesus. Now, he did things that amazed people, but you read in the scriptures over and over again, it says that they were amazed that God had given such power to men. Not, not to God, but to men. We know he was God, but the people of his day didn't know he was God, and it didn't occur to them that he was God. Now, he, you say, yeah, but he walked like no man walked, and he talked like no, yes, he did. But still, no one thought he was God. You know, I, I heard uh, Smith Wigglesworth, I heard about him. You can sit down, John, thank you. I, I heard about Smith Wigglesworth that sometimes when he would get uh, go out into public, if, like if he'd get on a, a streetcar. And just because he stayed in the presence of God so much, the glory of God was just so radiating out from him that he would step onto a streetcar and complete strangers would get out of their seat and fall down and say, you, you, mister, you convict me of my sin. He had such a presence about him. I never read where anybody fell down and said, you're God. I think you're God. No, there's a difference. Jesus had a powerful impact on people, but he was a man, and as a man, he amazed them. He cast out devils as a man, not with any power that was inherent in his deity, but as a man who had been anointed by the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit came upon him. In Jesus' life, he was in all ways in every way, normal. We talk at Christmas time about his miraculous birth. His birth was not miraculous. His conception was miraculous. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and, and, she was, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. His conception was miraculous. His gestation, is what you call it, when he's growing in the that was not miraculous. That was every way, in every way human. His birth was not, I know, I know at Christmas we like to think that Mary had this, you know, glorious experience and, and uh, you know, it was just like angels singing and no, they were on the, they were on the hillside. <laughs> and that there was a, that now, I don't know, you could suppose that maybe that she did have an easier, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say she had any kind of a, of a delivery experience any different than anybody else. In his childhood, he was an ordinary child. When he came on the scene at 30 years old and began his ministry and all the mighty works that, that began to happen, what did people say? They said, wait a minute. Isn't he, isn't he Jesus of, from Nazareth, that Jesus? The son of Joseph, the carpet? Yeah, we know his brothers and what's going on here? There was nothing miraculous about his early life. He was, he was a good child because he, we know he never sinned, but uh, he, he, there was nothing spectacular about it, just ordinary Because we only look and we're, we're, we're schooled and conditioned to always think of every time you read of something miraculous that Jesus did, we put his ministry in a class all its own. Nobody can really be in that class because that, that's Jesus. Jesus as a person is in a class by himself. His ministry is not in a class by itself. Let me say that again. As a person, he is in a class all to himself. God, the son. But his ministry and how he operated is not in a class 
all by itself. To, to, to this extent, let me, let me qualify that. What I mean by that is Jesus healed the sick by the Spirit of God. When Jesus knew things, you know, he'd be walking with the disciples and they would be having this private conversation and he would, he would ask them questions because he knew what they were saying. We tend to think, well, he, you know, he's God. He knows it. He did not know everything that was going on around him. He only knew what his disciples had been talking about by the gifts of the Spirit. The, the spiritual gift of the word of knowledge operated and that's how he knew. There were other times he asked them, what were you talking about? Because he didn't necessarily know. He only knew things as the Spirit of God shared that information with him. Well, we have access to the same thing. He healed the sick, cast out devils, he, he walked on water, he broke uh, the bread and, and fed the multitude. You said, well, when's the last time you heard of anybody doing that? I haven't heard about anybody doing that. Now, I've, read, I've read one book years ago about, about some ministers that uh, uh, did that. They allegedly did that, and I don't have any reason to doubt it. He walked on the water and broke bread and sped, fed multitudes. The reason we don't see more people doing what he did is exactly what I've been explaining this morning. Most people think they can never achieve anything close to being godlike other than just living a good life. But the power side of life, Jesus did all of the power things he did without any help of his, from his deity. No resources, no might, no power that he had as God. He divested himself of all of that remaining God, of course, but he divested himself of all of those attributes and all of those resources and everything he did, he did as a man anointed by the Holy Ghost. We are men, we're anointed by the Holy Ghost. Now, here's the exception. I'm, I, I like to put everything in balance. In John chapter I don't remember what chapters, three, four, or six, something like that. It says that God did not give the spirit by measure unto Jesus. That infers that he does give the spirit by measure to us. And in fact, we know he gives the spirit to us by measure because in Hebrews chapter two, it talks about those who preach the gospel with signs and wonders and Gifts of the Spirit, and that word gifts is, it actually means, it's not the ordinary word for gift, it's the word that means distributions of the Spirit. You see, the, the Holy Spirit is distributed among the body of Christ. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you have a measure of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure. Now, that's bound to make a difference. <laughs> Wouldn't you say so? He had the spirit without measure. We have the spirit by measure. What I mean by that is that the full measure of the spirit that was upon Jesus in his earth, earthly ministry, which was all of the gifts, all of the anointings, all of the, uh, of the offices, everything that, that, that could be imparted to man operated in its fullness in Jesus. When Jesus was raised from the dead, we somehow, and this is a great mystery, no one can explain it, but we, when we are born again, we are, we are actually placed into Christ and we become one with him and now Christ is not just one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ is, is a, is a term that, refer, that refers to his body. We are the body of Christ. So Christ is the head and the church is his body and you and I are all individual members of that body and that anointing, that, that fullness of the spirit that dwelt in, on Christ has been distributed throughout his body. I have certain gifts and graces 
that are mine by the Spirit of God. I stand in a, in a certain office and I'm anointed to minister in certain ways because I've received that anointing. You might not have that same anointing. You will have different anointings. They may be, they may be of the some sort, but of the same sort of anointing, but there will be a measure on your life that may not be on my life. That's why, that's why we're the body. If, if all of the anointing of the spirit that Jesus walked in was upon Doug, he would need the rest of us. <laughs> Isn't that right? No, God has organized and planned the body of Christ so that we are all members of one another and we all need one another. Think about all the different anointings. Think about all of the offices. Think about all the people today, right now in 2018, all the different ministers and lay people and the various offices and the various anointings and the various graces and gifts and so forth that, that are distributed in the body of Christ. How, how widespread it is. Then you begin to, to understand how Jesus was able to walk like no man walked. He embodied all of that. That's, that's amazing. And yet he was able to, to do that as a man. Well, I don't have all of the anointings. I don't have the spirit without measure. And so it stands to reason that I'm not gonna do everything Jesus did. Collectively, Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also. He wasn't just talking to one person. He was talking to all of us. Glory to God. Amen. Do you understand that? And, and that's why it's so important for us to understand his humanity. Now, now we, we, we got into this last week and, and I mentioned it a little bit already, but Jesus suffered spiritual death on the cross. And I, and I mentioned last week that one of the thing that, things that plagues Christianity today is what I call pop theology. There is such a thin and shallow level of theology in the church today that, and particularly in the era of the internet, you have these, these uh, self-proclaimed theologians they're always posting stuff on the internet and always giving their opinion. And, and, and there are certain people that they feel like their calling in life is to just troll through the Christian community and find anybody that they disagree with and just attack them and, and call them uh, uh, heretics and, and, and everything else. When we talk about Jesus dying spiritually, it, it, it raises people's hackles. They get their hackles up. You know what I mean by that? Because not understanding what we're talking about, they think that we're speaking sacrilege, that somehow we are blaspheming the, the holy person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason for that is they don't understand how, how Jesus as a man could experience things that are foreign to deity. He experienced them as a man, not as God. So when we say that Jesus died spiritually, we're not talking about in his deity, we're talking about in his humanity. And I, I, I said this last week that, that I have, uh, that this is not something that, uh, you know, is, is strange and peculiar. After the service, actually last week, uh, uh, this past week, someone wrote, uh, my wife and I, a little note. And she said that, that in the church, this woman in our congregation said in the church that she attended years ago, someone in uh, their church uh, began to talk like in a Sunday school class about those word of faith people that teach that Jesus died spiritually. And this lady raised her hand. She said, uh, I believe that. The teacher said, oh, no, 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 that couldn't be true. Well, she came back and she gave them scriptures for it. And the teacher took the scriptures and said, hmm, I'll get back to you. 
Well, she, this, this lady worked for the pastor. She worked in the office of the church. And shortly thereafter, she saw that list of scriptures on the pastor's desk. desk. So the Sunday school teacher gave this list of scriptures to the pastor. He never said anything to her. She said, but shortly after that, she and her family received the left foot of fellowship from that church. They were basically kicked out. Couldn't answer the scriptures, but, but I said all that to say this. This idea that Jesus died spiritually is not something that is new and it's not something that is uh, held by you know, fanatics. I want to read something that Billy Graham said in his book. This is his book, Peace with God. He said, the spikes never held him. Talking about the nails. It was the cords of love that bound tighter than any nails that man could mold. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, for you, for me. He bore our sins in his body upon the tree. As someone has said, behold, on the cross, bending his sacred head and gathering into his heart the awful isolation of separation from God, the issue of the, 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 issue of the sins of the world. Standing overwhelmed in his presence, in the presence of his suffering, feeling our own inability to understand or explain, and with a great sense of might and majesty overwhelming us, we hear the next words that passed his lips, it is finished. But the physical sufferings, I'm still reading from Billy Graham, the physical sufferings of Jesus Christ was not the real suffering. Many men before him had died. Others had hung on a cross longer than he did. Many men had become martyrs. The awful suffering of Jesus Christ was his spiritual death. He reached the final issue of sin, fathomed the deepest sorrow when he cried, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This, Christ was, this cry was proof that Christ becoming sin for us had died spiritually and with it, he lost all sense of the Father's presence at that moment in time. He who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. On the cross, he was made sin. He was God forsaken. Because he knew no sin, there is a value beyond comprehension in the penalty he bore, a penalty that he did not need for himself. How it was accomplished in the depths of the darkness, man will never know. I know only one thing. He bore my sin in his body on the tree. He hung where I should have hung. The pains of hell that were my portion were heaped on him and I am able to go to heaven and merit that which is not my own but his by every right. Billy Graham. Uh, John Calvin, I, I won't read everything because we don't agree with everything Calvin said but you, couldn't, you can't say John Calvin was a heretic. Okay, he was one of the foremost uh, people of the, of the Protestant Reformation, okay? And I, I won't read all this, but I just, just one sentence. He said, surely, now, now in, in reading a lot of these things in earlier times, men in the church didn't always understand the difference and the, and the, uh, the difference between soul and spirit. A lot of times they speak of soul, they're really talking about spirit. He said here, and surely unless his soul shared in the punishment, he would have been the redeemer of bodies only. See, if he didn't suffer everything associated with sin, if he didn't suffer in his spirit, then he only delivered in the natural, in the flesh. He only experienced what we experienced in the flesh. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, this is Ralph Early, uh, professor of New Testament at uh, Nazarene Theological Seminary, trying to save some time. Our substitute took the torturous trail of a lost soul, walking out into the labyrinthine depths of outer darkness. He tasted death for every man. That means more than physical death. When Christ cried out on the cross, my God, why hast, you, why hast thou forsaken me? He was experiencing something far deeper. He was paying the penalty of sin, not his, but ours. The penalty of sin is separation from God. This was the price that Jesus had to pay for our salvation. There was no alternative. 
Uh, I could read more, but save time. Uh, H. B. H. Carroll, he was the former president of the Southwest Baptist Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas. He said about the ninth hour, this is in his book, The Four Gospels, uh, Interpreting the Bible, The Four Gospels. About the ninth hour, which would be three o'clock, the silence was broken. For we have the fourth saying of Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Physical death is the separation of the soul from the body. Spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God. So just before the darkness passed away, closing the ninth hour, Jesus died the spiritual death. H.A. Uh, Ironside, uh, well, I, I won't read all that, save time. Charles Spurgeon, uh, like I said, there's world, uh, Warren Wiersbe. Wiersbe. There's a lot of uh, authors and notable men through the Bible have taught what I'm teaching. This is not a false doctrine. It's not a strange or extreme doctrine. It's like I said, pop culture today is so light and, and shallow and frothy. People react in certain ways from things that they don't understand. Go with me to Hebrews 2. Oh, my goodness. Hebrews 2. Why is this so important, Pastor? Hebrews 2. Verse nine, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, that spiritual death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. Now this has to be talking about spiritual death because the fact that he tasted it for us was to keep us from having to taste it. Once we're delivered from it, we never have to taste spiritual death again, but we still die physically for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren uh, let's drop down to verse 14 inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Through spiritual death, he might destroy. Now this word destroy does not mean to annihilate so that, so that that person doesn't exist anymore. The word destroy here means to render powerless or inoperative. It means to make useless for the purpose of its, of its existence. To make Without effect, the translations are break the power of. Here in verse 14, that through death he might, this is the, the New English Bible, that he, may, that he might break the power of him. The Goodspeed translation says that he might dethrone him who had the power of death. The Burke translation says that he might neutralize him. Rotherham translation says that he might paralyze him. Moffat translation says that he might cruise him that had the power, uh, crush, excuse me, crush him who had the power of death. So that's what the word destroy means. It means that Jesus rendered him inoperative in this business of exercising the power of death. Notice Satan, this is obviously talking about the devil, Satan had the power of death. He doesn't have the power of death anymore. Now let's go on reading. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Release those who, who through the fear of death. Now, the fear of death, now this is the ordinary Greek word for fear and you can, you can understand it in the sense of being afraid to die. And I don't, I don't want to minimize the fear of death. There are, there are a lot of people who are deathly afear, afraid of dying. I mean, the fear of death is very real. But there are a lot of people who aren't afraid to die. I'm not talking about safe people. I'm talking about unsafe people. A lot of people don't have enough smarts. I mean, they're too dumb to be afraid. I mean, there are atheists that do not believe in the life hereafter. And they, don't, they go through life without any thought. And if you bring up heaven or hell, they laugh at you. They are not afraid to die. I know a lady one time told me that she, she was in our, she's in our church, a member of our church. She said many, 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 many years ago, she was a young woman. 
She had a condition in her body and she was dying. She could have died. I'll say it that way. She had an emergency situation. She was on her way to the hospital. They're rushing her to the hospital. She could have died from what was going on in her body. But because she had been raised in the church and was a member of the church and had been baptized, she thought she was saved. Now she told me, she said, later I got born again and I found out I wasn't saved. I thought I was saved back then, but I wasn't. But she said, the, the, the thing about it is, on my way to the hospital, I was at perfect peace. She said, I was at perfect peace. I, I knew that there was a, a good chance I could die on the way to the hospital. And she said, I was convinced that I would go to heaven because I was a member of the church and I had been sprinkled. That's what she told me. She said, I had complete peace and yet I know now I wasn't saved. So what I'm saying is there are religious people and there are non-religious people who are not afraid to die and yet they ought to be. But here it says, and release those who, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Well, if it's only talking about the, the fear of dying, then it's not for everybody because some people don't experience that. This word fears, the ordinary word that's translated fear, but I've noticed three other times in the New Testament, this word fear is translated terror. This Greek word, instead of being translated fear, is translated terror three different times in the New Testament. I like to read it that way. And release those who through the terror of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Remember in Romans it says that by one man sin entered the world and death by sin and therefore death reigned. See the reign, R-E-I-G-N, the reign. To, to, to reign means to, to exercise sovereign control. Death, spiritual death, exercises exercised sovereign control over the human race. No one was free from the terror. What is the terror of death? It's not just the fear of dying. It's the, it's the terror that spiritual death brings, the, the terrible reign of death that, that results in sin and sickness and bondage and fear and destruction and, and, and all of the other evils of, and, 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 and fallings of man that comes under the reign of death. Jesus did two things. When he partook of spiritual death, it says through death, he, he might render inoperable, he might paralyze him who had the power of death and release those who through fear of death, through the terror of death, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. A man who is not born again is still under the terror of the reign of death and all his lifetime he's subject to bondage. I don't care who he is. Jesus came, remember in, in, in first chapter of Revelation, he said, I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am he who was dead, but I'm alive and I'm alive forever. And then what did he say? And I have the keys of hell and of death. How did he get the keys of hell and death? He got the keys of hell and death while in hell. As our substitute suffering all of the tragedy, all of the sorrow, all the grief that sin required. That was what, the, that was, what was required. Over in, in, in uh, uh, Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, the... Uh, Young's literal translation, I think it's the bottom part of verse six or verse seven, where it says his iniquity, he bore our iniquity. The Young's translation says, it hath been exacted and he hath answered. And I looked up that word exact. You know what the word exact means? It means to require as a, as a, as a matter of strict justice without making any concessions whatsoever. Our salvation, the debt of our sin required the full punishment, the full measure without making any concessions whatsoever. Jesus drank that bitter cup to the dregs and right there in the belly of hell when, when the price had been paid, whew, 
fire from heaven fell. Glory to God. And his spirit was made alive. Out of spiritual death, he was born again unto life. That's why the New Testament calls him the first begotten from the dead. He was born alive. He was justified in the spirit. And it says in Colossians chapter two, turn over there. Colossians chapter two, hallelujah. Colossians two, verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public exec, uh, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, being the cross. The ver previous verse talks about the cross. And then says, having disarmed. The, 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 the Greek says, having stripped off principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Glory to God. Jesus did that in the moment he was made alive in the very pit of hell. He threw off these principalities and powers. He stripped them of their authority over man. He took the keys of hell and of death and was raised from the dead. The devil no longer has the power of death. Well, you say, well, people are still in the grip of spiritual death. It's only because they don't know and the devil can't do anything to prevent a person once he hears the gospel and decides to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, there's nothing the devil can do to keep that man from coming out of death. He's in, yeah, he's, he's in, he's bound in death. He's in prison, but the doors are open. That's, that's the condition modern man is in. They're in prison in death, yes, but the doors are open. Amen. But they don't know the doors are open because they're blind. But as soon as the light comes and they see the light, They'll walk right out of that and there's nothing, there's nothing the devil can do to hold him because he no longer has the power of death. Yeah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That through death, he might paralyze him who had the power of, de of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the terror and the reign of death were all their su lifetime subject. Were, notice it says in Hebrews, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime. All my lifetime, up until the time I found out about this, I was subject to bondage. But when I found out, glory to God, that Jesus came into that prison and kicked the doors open, glory to God, I walked out and from that day forward, I've not been bound by darkness, glory to God. I've come out, I've been delivered from darkness. I've been delivered from sin. I've been delivered from death. I've been delivered from poverty and lack and, and failure and sickness and pain. And I've been delivered from it, glory to God. He brought me out. He brought me out, glory to God. Glory to God. Now, we're just now ready. Just now, right now. We're just now ready to explore the authority that's ours. Did all of that just to get us to right where we are right now. Now we're ready to explore the authority that belongs to us in Christ. Well, praise the Lord. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Free at last. Free at last. Woo! Glory to God. Thank God Almighty. We're free. We're free. We're free. We're free. Glory to God. We're free. Glory to God. The chains of death and hell cannot hold us. The vestiges of that old life can't hold you anymore. Everything associated with death and sin can no longer hold you. Pray, I pray that you see it with your spirit, man. Get the, 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 that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may see it, not as a theory, not as a doctrine, but see it as belonging to you right now. Glory to God. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. When you see it, when you see it, you'll begin to see the ministry of Jesus in an entirely different light. When you see the fact that he became all that we were so that we could become all that he is.
Hallelujah. He took our sin and gave us his righteousness. He took our shame and our sorrow and gave us his peace and his joy. Oh, glory. He took our defeat, failure, ruin, and gave us victory, life, healing, power, and authority. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God, thank God, thank God. I said this, that because the spirit of God was upon Jesus without measure and we have the spirit by measure, I said that surely that's bound to make a difference. But that should not hinder us in stepping into the fullness of what is available to us. Because Jesus lived the life. He did not just live as a, as a testimony to something. Jesus lived the life he lived as a man completely without depending upon his deity in the full measure of the spirit to show us what was possible. Now, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit that I don't know of any other man who has ever fully lived like Jesus. I know the apostle Paul probably lived as close to that ideal as any other man that I know of. And, but even the apostle Paul said, you know, I, I don't consider myself to be perfected. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind in the past, and reaching forth to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, that uh, I think you're gonna go out and be, a, and, and be a, uh, a man or a woman that fully demonstrates everything that is Christ. You, but I can say this, it's possible. It's possible. I, I, I know nobody's done it, but that doesn't mean it's not available. Am I saying it's, it, that I expect it? No, I don't. But if we only look at him as God, we'll never even try. We'll never even reach for anything. Because after all, well, he was, he was Jesus. He was God. Now we have to get beyond that. I... I, I I expect before Jesus returns that the body of Christ in toto will rise up and fully reveal Christ to this world. Maybe, maybe not you, me, by ourselves, but the body of Christ, all of us doing our part to function fully in the anointing and the grace that God gives us Hallelujah. That's, that's, what, that's, that's the ideal for the church. That's what God has planned for the church. Oh, glory. Woo, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. It's time that the church took its place. It's, a time, it's time that you and me stop looking at ourselves in the light of the past and in the light of our failures and in the light of our inabilities. Begin to look at ourselves in the light of Christ, what Christ did for us. And any area in your life that doesn't reflect Christ you need, to, you need to declare war on that. I mean, you need to declare yourself, no, I, I'm not putting up with that thing in my life. Glory to God. Well, praise the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Father, we thank you. Glory to God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. You're so good, Lord. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.
Let me just give you another thought. I know I'm running over a little bit, but let me just give you another thought. Can I do that? We say, well, you know, it's not possible to live like Christ. That's a cop-out. Jesus said this. He said, if you have faith as, a, as of a mustard seed, you'll speak to this mountain and say, be removed to yonder place and it will obey you. Now, we've all said, I've said it, I don't believe it anymore, but I used to say it, that that was just figuratively speaking. That that's just, this is the way this is interpreted. Jesus wasn't literally saying that you could physically move an actual mountain and cast it in the sea. He was saying that whatever obstacle, big thing in your life is, you can speak to it and it'll go. It's not what he said. He was probably at the foot of the Mount of Olives when he said this if you followed the track of, of where he was traveling, he probably did his hand like this, referring to this mountain. He said, whoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but will believe those things he says, it'll happen. He said you could move mountain. Listen, I know you're, you said, pastor, you're getting, you're getting squeaky now. You're getting, you're stretching. Jesus said you could move a physical mountain. Whoa, wait a minute. Think about this. You remember Joshua in battle? They didn't have time in the day to defeat their enemies completely. So Joshua stood up and he said, Sun, stand still. Moon, stand still. And the Bible says the sun and the moon stood still in the sky. And it says that never before that time or after that time was there a time when God ever heeded the voice of a man. Look it up. Not the voice of God, the voice of a man like that. Now, do you know, all of you know how the planets work? You do know that the sun doesn't come up and go down. We just go around. The sun comes around and then it goes around. But it really doesn't go. As far as our solar system is concerned, I, you know, I don't know the solar system might be moving, but as far as our solar system, the sun's not moving. The earth is going around. The sun takes a year. The earth is rotating on its axis 24 hours. The sun and the, and the moon stopped, which means the earth stopped. How many, can anybody, if any of you uh, that are still in school, can you tell me how fast the earth is rotating? What's the speed of, our, of the earth's rotation? Anybody know? Even close? Something like 11,000 miles an hour, maybe. Do you know what would happen right now? Right now. If suddenly the earth just stopped, do you know what would happen? Two words, total destruction. Everything on the planet would be destroyed. The oceans would empty themselves of the water. The mountains would be blasted down. Every form of life would die. The face of the earth would be destroyed right now if the earth suddenly stopped. Yet it happened. God, you say, well, now pastor, I, listen, you, listen, you either got to fish or cut bait. You either believe the Bible or you don't. You can't have it one way or the other. It says that the sun stopped in the sky for about a day for 12 hours. And the moon stopped. God stopped this planet and preserved all the life. And he did it on the words of a man. I'd say that's a little bit bigger than moving a mountain. Bigger miracle than taking a physical mountain and casting it. What am I saying? I'm saying all things are possible. When Jesus said, whoever shall speak to this mountain and, and cast it into the sea, and, and, and if he believes it, it'll happen. 
well, why hasn't anybody ever done that? Well, it wasn't necessary. It wasn't necessary. And if it's not necessary, you can't believe for it. That's the reason it hadn't happened. Nobody's got the faith for it. The reason you don't have the faith for it is because there's no word for it. The reason there's no word for it is because it's not required. But if it was and it was and it was, you could. If you had any of that kind of faith. <laughs> Amen. Well, just something to think about. What am I saying? We can do the works of Christ. I said we can do the works of Christ. We can talk like he talked. We can act like he act, acted. We can deliver like he delivered. Amen. We can heal like he healed. Praise God. Well, praise the Lord. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.